Hi, yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artists of Data Science Happy Hour, Friday, May 7th. Excited to have all of you guys here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to hang out with me today. Friday, May 7th, man. I can't believe it. You know why? Because tomorrow is my son's first birthday. I can't believe it has been one year already. Happy birthday, baby to God. Um, one year. Damn, we survived. Can't believe it. Um, so super excited to have all of you guys here. I think there might have been some type of mix up in the calendar. I don't know. But if you are um, part of the newsletter, then you know that the office hours are happening. I got a few messages from folks talking about they were not able to see the happy hour appear in their schedule. Not sure what that's all about, but it is every single Friday. So um, super excited to have you guys here. How's everybody doing? Vivian, how you doing? Good. How's your week been? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty pretty busy. Just working on projects and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I had a quite a busy week as well. I was uh, we're doing like this data strategy thing at work, right? Which involves just talking to a whole lot of people. So I uh, was doing a ton of interviews all. A week i probably spent at least 15 hours 16 hours in meetings this week it sort of felt like um that's probably an accurate number as well um but yeah i mean it was uh one heck of a week so i decided to take today off just to kind of relax and not do anything uh which was nice so some new people in the house how's it going we got well tours in the house man good to see you again tour uh Ger Simran. Marina, got Eric, Joe. How you guys doing? So if anybody wants to uh, kick us off with a question, please, by all means, go for it. Go ahead and uh, unmute your mic if you have a question and we'll be happy to take your questions. Um, I was thinking about um, just, especially with COVID happening and stuff, I've seen a lot of people like just on social media and stuff like that, getting some data stuff like really wrong. Um, so something I've been thinking about this week is like, how do you, how do you handle those people? I mean, I mean, sure. There's like people at jobs and things like that, that you have to like describe data things to um, that are not data people. But what about just in your regular life? when you're just hanging out with friends or something and then somebody says something like really wrong and you're you know like I guess that's kind of just what I've been thinking about is like how in what ways do you see lay people sort of like getting things like super wrong and how do you handle that like because I don't know about a lot of people but I don't really necessarily want to like feel like I'm hijacking a conversation or something or steamrolling people a lot of stuff can get really political stuff like that but but also it annoys me because i'm a data scientist <laughs> yeah yeah i know what you mean um so my typical response to like any type of bullshit i hear from people is i just say oh that's really interesting where did you uh, get that bit of information from or how did you arrive to that conclusion i'd love to kind of you know, see your perspective on that. Walk me through how you arrive at this conclusion. That's typically my go-to response. And then from there, they tend to, you know, be like, oh, I just read it somewhere. I just saw it somewhere. I'm just parroting something I saw somewhere else. And then I'm like, okay, well, did you put in any work to like verify that or anything like that? Um, but that's kind of my go-to tactic is just, hey, walk me through your logic and how you got to this conclusion and, and you know, see if, if we can have a discussion or dialogue about it. Cho, what about you? Um, I, I, I guess I've had my, a fair share of um, innumeracy and idiots in my life. Um, I think anymore, I, I don't say anything. And it may sound like a cop-out, but I just... 
unless it's something that's fundamentally stupid. But I mean, the, the amount of like fundamental stupidity in society right now and in the world, I think it's just reached like a record high. So like, I just, I don't know, for me, I just pick my battles wisely, right? Because otherwise you could be, you could be correcting people all day, frankly. And I suppose, is that like the best use of your time or brain cells or, or patience? So I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, yeah, somebody says in the chat, this, this is a time that everybody's an expert and that's so true, right? Marina says that and it's just, I don't know, personally, I'm over it. I just, I don't even bother correcting people anymore. I just shut the fuck up and like, let them just say their thing. And then I just move on. So... I didn't probably give any useful advice except maybe just uh, pick pick your battles and choose your time wisely. I think is, is what I'm saying. Like, otherwise you're going to get into arguments with idiots and there's no shortage of those at this point. So, Yeah, that's absolutely good advice because there's some people who might just be up for having a intellectual conversation about it. And there's some people who just will defend their point no matter how ridiculous it is just because it is their point um and those type of people i'm just like oh cool man that sounds really interesting fascinating thanks for sharing that piece of information and teaching me something which is funny because that's almost like the ultimate diss (laughs) (laughs) just to politely say oh yeah that's that's interesting yeah uh I'm, i'm interested in hearing what other people are doing um so let's hear from from russell on this topic and uh maybe marina we got somebody new marina so um after russell let's hear from from you and in the meantime guys if you guys have any questions i will add you to the queue just go ahead and shoot me a message let me know you got a question and i'll put you into the queue russell go for it thank you evening to everyone uh, good to see you all here um, yeah, so I, I typed a quick message in the chat uh, just saying that, you know, a genuine ignorance, you know, and lack of knowledge um, giving light to, a, you know, a stupid action or discussion can often be accepted, certainly if there's willing to, to change with the advent of new information. Uh, what I find far more difficult is the, the willful ignorance or willful stupidity or willful bias or prejudice that's often driven by... Um, other means, you know, confirmation bias, uh, things like that. You know, if there's a if there's a benefit to acting stupidly, and people do that despite their better objective assessment, if they're in a right mind, then that's what I think is a greater problem, and I think that's an affliction that that um, affects a lot of the world, particularly in the political uh, political playing grounds. You know, Marina, are you hey there, Marina? Hey, um, hey. hi. I'm Hi. kind of new, so yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple of times. But yeah. I, <laughs> but I, I, I agree. I normally don't say anything, um, but I totally agree. There is tons of experts out there. It's just tons. Like everybody's an expert right now. Everybody has an opinion, and I think that um, you have to keep it to yourself most of the times. But if not, you know, like Joe say, um, you have uh, uh, you have to pick your battles and. Um, you know, like I, I think the whole the whole thing of saying um, this is interesting. <laughs> I just found it, um, you know, very useful. It's just oh, this is interesting, and just talk about something else. It's just you know, like because it's the confirmation bias. And um, everybody um, right now has an opinion about something and look for sources of information that confirm what they think. That is in all fields, and. You may want to have any, you know, an, an opinion about certain things. On the other, you know, like um, years ago, you know, like you didn't have even an opinion about medical terms, and now everybody has an opinion. <laughs> I'm like, um, so no, that's 
Yeah, yeah. It used to be and it that. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what's the data. You can always, you know, and also that's almost true in statistics. You can always um, can do the statistical analysis in a way that confirms your your, your hypothesis. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's like they used to be only like academics would write in journals and they'd battle it out in white papers, but now everybody is an academic and they battle it out in the comment section, um, what the world has has come to. Vivian. It's a really good book. Um, you should check out. It's called Fantasyland. Okay, nice. Who's that by? Oh, shit. Uh, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Um yeah typed in fantasy land and some weird things are coming up. My I'm sure some weird shit. Okay, so yeah. Google like fantasy land, the book, but it talks about, um, especially in America, like we're, we're uniquely situated to, I guess, have, um, whatever opinion you want. Right. Uh, our, our country was basically founded by hucksters, um, also known as pilgrims. Um, so, so it's kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah, How America Went Haywire, that book. Um, it's fascinating to, to read and it's fascinating because it also does a really good job explaining how we got to today where um, you just have so much disinformation. Uh, it's inc- We basically just live in this like mass hallucination where depending on your view, you can, you can find something to confirm that. Um, and that's just the reality of it. So even if you do try and talk facts these days to people, you know, the, the, the common rebuttal is, well, yeah, but that's, how do I know that's, that's true, right? So it makes the job of a data person very fascinating right now because um, you know you you literally have multiple alternate realities, um, and I think it's it's going to be one of those things. I think increasingly for data professionals uh, who may feel like they have the right answers and most likely do. Um, how do you convince people who um, may suffer from extreme? In numeracy, for example, right? Like they, just, they aren't number savvy, or they just choose not to care. I think COVID, like the recent pandemic, like illustrated that perfectly. Um, despite science or facts, people just come up with their own alternate realities or shit. And basically it's like, well, yeah, but the scientists don't know what they're talking about. Right. But the guy in InfoWars, he totally knows what he's talking about. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. I mean, so. I'd, I'd wager that the entirety of human civilization and economics was built on mass hysteria, government and money. Take Noah Harari's argument for it. Um, but I mean, and, and, and we talk about innumeracy, it could be like, cause there are people out there who, who, you know, don't know how to add proportions. Right. So they might say, uh, a over B plus C over D is equal to A plus B over C plus D. Well, obviously that's not how you go about doing it and adding proportions of stuff. So just basic things like that, I think is what Joe's referencing to when he talks about uh, innumeracy. Uh, but Vivian, um, I saw you're unmuted. Um, well, I just have kind of a follow-up on this of like, so I read that book that um, I think it was Dave Knickerbocker mentioned before of like the calling bullshit book. And um, so I've read that one. And then I also have heard in passing, I actually don't know that I didn't fact check this, but I've heard that Finland added a thing to their curriculum of like, as part of their just general education, like with high school equivalent education to uh, have a class that teaches students how to like, you know, like data sources and things like that and how to like evaluate whether things are true and stuff like that. Um, and then after reading that book and thinking about that, like just what what ways do people see 
you know, a solution to this because like we're only moving towards in the future, like a more data, you know, centric future. So like, is the gap just, do people kind of like anticipate the gap continuing to get wider of like people who do and don't know data or like, how can we solve this? Like what, what sort of things do you see? Like at what point will we reach a critical, you know, turning point where it's like, all right, this is too much of a problem and something has to be done about it or, you know, just thoughts on that. That's an interesting question. Actually, I bought that book calling bullshit. I have not read it yet. It's sitting right there in my uh, bookshelf and I'm excited to get into it. Um, but I mean, can you, can you kind of elaborate on that question? I'm not sure if I really, really understood when you, when you say, when we're talking about people who who don't understand data, do you mean just like, like what Joe's talking about? in Yeah. Or? Well, I guess I'm just thinking in general, maybe it's less of a question and more just like, if anybody has any thoughts or something of like, what can we do slash what ways do you see this becoming a problem in the future in which we'll have to deal with it? I don't know I that guess. it's fixable, honestly. You're dealing with, I mean, you have the conduits of rapid misinformation. It's called social media, right? And, I, and countries are taking advantage of this, like state actors. And so it's, you know, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, but it's just- So what do, you, what do you think then about like how Facebook has specifically started trying to like fact check and like flag people's posts as being, you know, is that effective at all? Like, do you think, or what, you know, what other ways could be more effective? I don't know. I, you know, if we could figure that out, I, I, I would give that person a Nobel prize, honestly, because it's like, this is the biggest issue for humanity right now. Honestly, it's like, you have a pandemic going on, right? That can't even be fixed because you got misinformation about it, right? You can't even get people to agree on how to solve the problem, even though it's very clear how you could do it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I got off social media in part because I think in large part, because I was tired of listening to my stupid relatives talk about, um, you know, this and that, the other thing, you know, just... I mean, I, I call it the Derpa scene. Like you have, you have the Anthropocene. It's like it, it, the world right now is being overrun by just like extreme derpiness across the board. And I don't know how you solve that because it's not just the U.S. It's like everywhere. So, do you think that like what do you ever imagine? a? So do you think the gap will just keep getting wider? Or do you ever imagine like a place where... I don't know, like maybe education changes. And so like a new generation or something. <laughs> kind of I like know. i mean how did the enlightenment happen right yeah <laughs> you're going through basically like the dark ages but in a different way and i honestly think that's what's happening right now and i hate to say it because it's interesting because you have like this whole data science movement and everyone wants to do data but i'm like i honestly think it's going to be fueled for different purposes that aren't what we might want I mean, so. what about just introducing logic back into like elementary school right adding just formal logic back in like you don't really need to be a college age student before you start taking a class in formal logic, why not we introduce that in, in grade school or, or middle school or high school or something like that. Right. I think that's an easy fix. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy though. Right. So, I mean, cause if you listen to arguments on, on any, any viewpoint on any side of the, of the equation, it, it, people try and logically argue it, but they're using their own information. So it's like, if you can't come to a consensus in what's reality, then, you know, somebody raise your hand. I'll shut up. Yeah, Tor, go for it. No, I'm. I, I mean, this is an extremely interesting topic because, like, it's information overload, information overflow. There's just too much out there. And going back in my early days in school, uh, which is now starting to lesson, it's, it's been a while. But you know, one of the things that we had was social studies, and where we were learning more about reading newspapers and questioning the articles that were listed, for example. We had that as part of our school in Norway at the time. It's still in school. 
And I think really the bottom line here is that you have to start that early. You have to go back into school. Like you mentioned about logic, uh, about questioning things, like uh, to understand that like the viewpoints that are presented aren't necessarily the right one. There, there are multiple angles to every story. Now, with the society, the way it's going now, you're just seeing people going more and more into the famous silos, and that's all they get for information. Is Facebook, Google, and these companies helping? No, not at all. To me, they are just making everything worse because even I can see it in my own profile and on my own LinkedIn profiles, etc., that I don't have control of the information I'm getting. I, I, for a while, I thought I did, but I don't. I have absolutely no control over what the information and when I get it. And there's nothing that's driving me more nuts at the moment when I'm looking for something or I want something. I can't even trust whether or not that information that's being presented to me in the search is what I'm is the best for. Me. And I remember way back in late, yeah, when Google started, there were officially that famous search engine that didn't charge anybody to get ranked, et cetera, et cetera. And now Google exactly where they were, which is totally opposite to what their initial philosophy was when they started their own uh, search engines competing with Yahoo, MSN, all of these, America Online, et cetera. So, so for me, the key, I think, is going back to school. We have to teach people to think critically and to question the information they get and to not take everything just for granted. Love that. Thank you, Tor. Um, so I thought of one more thing while you were talking, Tor, just like how they found that, you know, there was that Netflix documentary, I forget what it's called, but it was about like how um, the algorithms are set out for all the social media sites and Google and all the things to like confirm, to basically give you, you know, they support confirmation bias, basically. Like they know you so well that they just give you and like in giving you what you want to see, Echo it's chamber. also, yeah, creating echo chambers. So like in some ways, have we gone too far? Like, do we, you know, do do Google and Facebook and stuff like have a responsibility to almost like back off on some of this, you know, ultra algorithm, algorithmizing everything like, you know, is that do you think that they have like a social responsibility to let go of some of that? Love to love to hear from somebody on the topic. Rena, would you like to, to chime in here? Yeah. Um, in the UK, we have something called censorship. And on the big internet world, we don't have censorship. So I've worked with a lot of academics who um, work in the research arena, and they always challenge people's research. But that's never done in the educational arena, especially online. So there is a lot of policing that's required, especially when it comes to future generations applying ethics to what they're doing. There is no arena for application of ethics anymore when you're looking at future generations taking their information from the World Wide Web. Are they verifying it? Are they validating that information? Any sort of data or statistics, is that getting validated across the world? There are a lot of questions, especially around ethics, censorship, and whether it's valid for somebody to um see things they shouldn't see um would you expose a child to certain elements of information that they that could influence their perception of the world for the future so there's a huge arena and i get i get it you're challenging it but how can you police it it's a very interesting thing that something that just popped to mind was um you know just around ethics right so 
you typically professions who have some type of um, duty to the general public come together and they have a type of code of conduct. For example, the doctors have their Hippocratic oath. I'm sure lawyers have like the lawyer's oath or some shit like that. There's probably something out there for accountants. I don't fucking know. But um, for data scientists who are doing things that are really touching a bunch of people everywhere, is it on us to come together as a group of practitioners and say, you know what, this is how we should act with our with our work and, and how we should conduct ourselves on the job. I'd be interested to, to hear some thoughts on that. Eric, what do you think? I kind of missed the very beginning of the question. What is it about? I heard stuff about it was like statistical validation. Then I was reading Russell's comment about social media, which is dynamite. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to just call you out of the blue there. Um, but Rena, Rena is here unmuted as well. So if you want to jump in, go for it. But we're just talking about ethics and, and stuff. If you want to. Ooh, all right. Yeah. I mean, I'm a member of the accountancy profession. And globally, we all have a universal ethical code of ethics, which we have to abide by. Otherwise, we get stripped of our license. Um, there is no such thing for the robotics community and there is no mm-hmm. such thing at the moment globally for the data science community. Um, so recently I read an article in the European Union where they are now running a whole series of restrictions on the way we use um, artificial intelligence. So in the same way data and data protection is now has now been created with GDPR. They're also doing the same for artificial intelligence in the European Union. So those legislations will start rolling out. So then it becomes a game of advantage. Which country can you put your data in to take advantage of exploiting that data? And that's when it becomes a global playing field. So obviously we all know about like Russian servers and being able to put your data in Russia and do what the hell you like. But then you you come across a whole stream of ethics going on around the world, and there's no one universal connection across the world right now. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually yeah. I so I read that um, some of that same regulation that was coming out of the EU on the the AI regulation. It's really interesting. It was dense, um, but it's definitely. it's definitely important to be talking about one of the things that I, I guess I kind of have a couple of thoughts on it. One is that it's early enough, I guess, that people are still in this, like, I think we still have kind of a starry eyed vision of, you know, like, Oh, I just throw data into ML and magic will pop out and I will magically get a great, awesome job doing, you know, and just like magic all over the place here. And um, as I've been reading more and more about AI ethics and particularly in particular, like bias mitigation and algorithms and things like that, like I, at least where I am and where I've, where I've seen lots of lots of people like me is at the stage of like knowing that it's a problem and talking about it and knowing we, we want to fix it, but like not knowing how yet. And I think that next step is like, there is a how, like there are bias mitigation algorithms. There are like 72 different fairness metrics. And so if those, as those are like incorporated into you know, whether it's incorporated into like curricula in school, just like we teach assumptions of regression, understanding what fairness means and what bias actually looks like and how to treat it. I don't know because I'm not an educator, so I don't know where that would necessarily fit, but it could certainly fit into professional development and continuing education credits. And that's something that I would, I would be I would love to be able to have like some of my personal professional development allowance, like put that towards that kind of a learning. And then the other thing is, since you, you mentioned like the international the international battle of, you know, where you push your data, right? 
I mean, that, that already kind of exists um, in companies in like manufacturing, right? And so the ISO has standards for that. And if you want to work with certain like large companies, they will not work with you. They won't even have a conversation with you about manufacturing contract unless you have an ISO certification. And so if an ISO data certification exists, it, it may, I'm not, I'm not sure, but if it doesn't exist, then it's got to be on somebody's desk right now um, because that would then kind of, I think, help avoid that. There's, there's always going to be the, there's always going to be the lower quality, the unvetted, the, the black market of data or whatever, like just like there is for anything. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that having an international standard on it could, could go a long way. Eric, thanks so much for that. So I'm going to, I'm going to call on Brandon real quick. I'm going to give you a, a quick summary of the question that we're, we're talking about, right? So we're talking that most professions like doctors say they have Hippocratic Oath and apparently accountants have a global oath. And I didn't know you're an accountant, Rena. I'm always talking shit about accountants. That's because I can't do you guys a job because it's incredibly fucking boring. Uh, and then there's, you know, also code of ethics for, for even like plumbers and, and shit like that. But we don't have a code of ethics for um, like the AI community, machine learning practitioners, data scientists. Do you think that's something that we should come together as a community and, I don't know, talk about it, agree on something or? I, yeah, sure. I think we do. You know, I hadn't actually given it too much thought. I see a lot of talks about AI ethics and stuff, but I haven't really dived deep into it. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I remember when I was an undergrad, I was in Tau Beta Pi, which is like the engineering fraternity kind of thing. And I remember reading something like that, that says that you would be neutral to uh, like stick with the, the science and the facts and like be neutral to, to parties or something like that. So that's the closest thing I ever got to pledging anything. Yeah. There's a, the episode I did with Paul Thaggard. He, he, pretty much came up with like a Hippocratic oath for people who are in our field for, for uh, machine learning practitioners. Um, and it's really interesting the way he broke it down. Um, I'll, I'll have to summarize it, maybe put it up as a LinkedIn post because it's, it's really interesting. Um, Joe, go for it. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me of the conversations I've been having with um, some people who are working on the, uh, actually the AI ethics for the IEEE. You know, they are it's such a shit show right now. <laughs> Um, to come to an agreement on like what AI ethics are comprised of or how you're going to enforce it. This is like an engineering society as well, right? So coming up with a standard is, is tricky um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's also interesting too, I think like the Hippocratic Oath, for example, right? Like that's kind of a universally applicable thing. Like doctors should keep patients alive and do no harm and that kind of thing. AI is tricky, right? Because depending where you live, there's different use cases for it. If you go to places like China, they have a much different view of how AI should be used than the United States or Europe. Um, you know, anyone who says differently, I mean, go to China and go... <laughs> go see for yourself. It's way different. There's mass surveillance uh, and the goals are different, right? It's not to sell you ads. It's to control your life. It's a fundamentally different place. Um, you know, in the US, corporations rule, rule the show, right? So it's like, we use AI to sell you cool shit, um, you know, and, and track you. And so we can sell you better stuff, right? This is all ad-driven society here. Um, so the, the ethics, I think really, there's an old saying, like, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome, right? And I think that, that definitely applies to AI ethics because it's not, there's not a universal, uh, I, can't, I don't think there's ever going to be a universal AI ethics precisely because 
every society is different and there are different incentives in how you apply AI and the outcomes you get. The, the, the day that you see a universal AI ethics is like the day that, you know, we're all living in peace and harmony and all agreeing on facts and all that shit, which is like never going to happen. So... <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Great start to the conversation. Um, so let's go ahead and turn into some some questions here. I see one from the in the chat from Eric. Uh, Eric, go for it. Yeah. So um, I I'm trying to understand the difference between an optional when when making a function um, in Python specifically. I, I would imagine it's applicable to other languages as well. The difference between an optional argument where I just pass something like equals none, right? And then the asterisk args, and then the asterisk asterisk kw args. Um, I don't I don't understand what it is. I've so and the reason I'm asking is because I am so I I've been working on this network X pull request thing. I posted about it on LinkedIn. So if you've seen it, you've seen it. And one of the things I, I wanted to change was to add an optional to add an optional argument to allow people to pass in a list of two items to set a horizontal and a vertical axis uh, boundary margin for their plot. And so I figured out that that's just an optional argument where I can just set it equals to none and pass it in elsewhere. But I always see that args and kwargs thing in like all the documentation that I'm reading. And I just haven't the foggiest idea what it is and it might be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely don't have a good answer for you. The only thing I know is that you use those when you don't know how exactly how many arguments or functions are going to take and that the args and the kwargs quargs thing those are interchangeable it's like the asterisks i think that that is the most important but I'd, i'll turn this yeah. over to like the proper software engineers um or vivian if you know definitely go for it um well the asterisk just it means like unpack these things that's what the asterisk is for so that you can okay. pass stuff in and then it like unpacks it so do you mean like if i had a function that was like add these arguments or something like add a and b and for b it's i put like, an asterisk because you can use stuff i'm i haven't like done this like today or something but just like i've used the the um asterisks before to like if i'm putting when i'm making my own function and putting in a list and then you can like you can put asterisk and then it unpacks all the things in the list like that's like saying like unpack this list. Unpack like in a loop or unpack like like it will take way. each item sort of similar to like a list comprehension or something. Like we'll take out each item individually. Okay. Does that make sense? So like yeah. Also think of the K in front of args and there's a difference. It's actually horribly confusing and I hate that they do this. So there's arguments. And there's core arguments with K. I think KW is supposed to stand for keyword, right? Right. And what do you think that means? Uh, the, I, I saw an example on real Python. I was like, set something equal to something. So rather than just like passing an argument, it set it equal to something, but I just don't know how it would okay. use that. I think you're getting there. So, so when you think of it, so a keyword argument, right? Um, you're going to be passing in something like probably a dictionary, right? That has a key and a value. To oh, it, right. <laughs> so, so args would be a non-keyword argument. So maybe something like a tuple or an array or something like that, right? But like, so there's no, it's something you're going to iterate over perhaps, maybe, okay. but it doesn't have a keyword attached to it. And so, okay. so that's typically so how you I, I was thinking that arguments were, were the things like, say you're like doing something in scikit-learn or whatever, and you look at the documentation, the arguments are the things that you have to define the value and those have to come first. 
So like when you're passing in like X train, like you have to give it that for it to run at all. That's not a predefined thing. You have to tell it. And then all the things that are like when you want to change the parameters and they have presets, those are keyword arguments. And so you can, that's like, like I was under the impression that arguments were like the things that you can list first and then it auto assigns those things. You don't have to be like, you don't have to be like, you know, like when you're working in some package, you don't have to be like X equals, uh, I, I'm so bad at describing this, but basically it's like the things that you can list. You don't have without, to write data equals DF. You can just put DF and it knows. Yeah. And it knows it because it's assigning that to the first and it's assigning those in a row for like what's in the package. And then the other ones, like you have to use the keyword and say keyword equals this and like manually set it to a thing. If that, you know what I'm saying? So okay. like, yeah, those are the keyword arguments is like the ones that you have to like call out by name and say this equals that, you know, versus okay. like being able to just pass it in as like X and Y. Okay, you always so, want to use the, the asterisk ones when you have like, like Viv was saying, when you have variable length, you have an unknown length of arguments you're trying to introduce as your parameters, right? Then it's like, I don't know how many there are. I'm just going to pass this in and see what happens. Okay. So, and so the, the single asterisk would be like, like you were saying with a dictionary, or sorry, not a dictionary, a list. And yeah. then Joe, the double asterisk would be something like a dictionary where you have paired items or something like that. You got it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That helps a lot. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. Nice. That, that was really clear. Thank you guys. Really appreciate that. All right. What's up everybody else? Um, I don't see any questions in the chat. So if anybody would like to take the floor, by all means, go for it. I see Makiko's in the building. Makiko, how's it going? I have a question. Off a bunch of uh, Russian uh, Piroshkis and drinking tea. I'm relaxing before I start my new job a few weeks from now. So, hey, congratulations. Uh, so, yeah, tell us about that in a second here. But I saw Brandon was uh, unmuted there. Brandon, go for it. Yeah, I just had a question if there's no other questions around. Like, how, what are people's thoughts of times when you're doing your job where you sit and think, um, this isn't data science and I'm worried about how much time I'm spending on this? I'd like to hear other people's opinions on that. Yeah, I was, I've been thinking that a lot over the last couple of months because of this data strategy thing that, that I'm working on for, for my company. There's literally no statistics, machine learning, analytics involved whatsoever. It's mostly data governance, data management, and things of that nature. So I've been thinking that a lot recently, but um, I just keep reminding myself of that, that this, this phrase, you, know, you should plant trees where you know you're not going to enjoy the shade. So it's like, all right, I'm doing all this work. And, you know, three years from now, four years from now, I might not be around at this company to enjoy the fruits of, of my labor and, and do actual statistics and data science stuff. Um, but Makiko, what do you think? I mean, like for me, so I feel like if you look at a majority of data scientist jobs, they're not really data science as I, as it like was pitched to me when I like first got into the field, you know, they're really more sort of like strategy analyst roles um, with some combination of like data engineering, sort of like nascent data engineering sort of tasks where you have to do like, like automation and, and like, like data quality management, things like that. So, I mean, my response to, I was, I was lucky though, because when I was working over at Teladoc slash Livongo, um, like we had a few people who were doing more like research data science, you know, and especially like at Teladoc when we were like, um, or at least Livongo, we were dealing with chronic conditions, right? So we had this one guy who he had like, like years of experience in like biomed research, uh, you know, worked for various like, um, you know, health, hospitals or research uh, teams, organizations. And so a lot of the work he was doing was very sort of like research oriented. And it was all about, and 
it was all about like how do you design experiments, um, especially for like, you know, ones that involve human trials. And then how do you combine that with some of the geospatial data and some of the like IoT data that we were getting? Um, but like, you know, I saw work that he was doing and I was like, I think my response to the like, man, my, even though I'm working as a data scientist, my like work is in data science was basically to just get out as soon as I could. And then to go focus on engineering because the way I figured it, most of the cool stuff that's happening in the machine learning data science world requires some amount of like product engineering or like data engineering or like ML ops. So that was, my, so that was like my response that was, okay, well, I'm basically not doing any data science work, even as a data scientist. So maybe I'm just going to go focus on the things that like I actually do enjoy which is more like the engineering development side. And of course I meant like quitting my job in the middle of COVID and, you know, figuring out that pivot and all that. But um, I don't know, I think for some people, like for some people it can be kind of liberating where it's like, well, you know, I'm not kind of doing what I should be doing for the role anyway. Um, but for others, I, I imagine it's, it's deeply disappointing. I feel like my first two roles where it was mostly like key stakeholder management, a lot of like data education. It was a little bit disappointing that I didn't really get to do like as much model development. But at the same time, I think part of it is also a lot of data scientists don't bring, a lot of data scientists don't have the skills actually to get things like into production. I think that's the reality of it. So I mean, that's just my kind of two cents. Russell, let's uh, let's hear from you. I see some good comments here in the chat. Yeah, I was I was just being kind of uh, sarcastic, actually. You know, I've got a bit of a, a dark sense of humor. Um, so uh, firstly, for, for Brandon's comment, I would say, you know, I have those kind of thoughts, you know, in everyday life, basically, what am I doing? You know, this should be kind of uh, run-of-the-mill stuff, but but actually, really, what am I doing? Uh, and then I went on to say, you know, quantum computing yeah, or, or quantum reasoning, you know, I pretty much all of the time I'm in one of two states, either this is amazing, this is cool, I absolutely love what I'm doing, or, you know, just what am I doing? What am I doing here? What's the reason for this? And I assume that that's similar for, for a lot of people. You know, I'm, I'm seeing you nod your head a little there, hi, Pete, so, so maybe you feel some of this. But uh, I, I don't think it's un, unusual, and especially then when you're talking about such a nuanced field as data science, it's going to happen all the more because, you know, it, it's new. We're breaking new ground every day. Um, if you're if you're doing something that doesn't feel like you're right on that, um, uh, the crest of the wave, Maybe you feel like it's not data science, but you know it might be. It just might not be that that real cutting edge stuff. I was literally having those thoughts of what the fuck am I doing? Like three hours ago, literally three hours ago, and I was sitting here and I was like, "This is so stupid. What am I doing?" And it was it was something basic. It was like I just I, I was I was spending so much time going from keyboard to mouse and i was like this is what am i doing like this is adding up all this little time that i'm shifting going to my mouse um so i spent an hour just mastering keyboard shortcuts because i was like why did i not figure this out sooner in life like that i could just do all the stuff from the keyboard and life would be so much easier um that's a completely different story though uh joe do you ever feel like what the fuck are you doing not anymore but i also like do my own thing now right so but i i've been in so many situations i think with jobs and um i mean you know you talk to any of my friends or whatever it's like i'm, I'm chronically unemployable um i mean that's just the reality of it i got strong opinions on how i want to do shit um you know, I'm impatient, you know, all the, all the characteristics that basically lead you to say like WTF, like, what am I doing with my time? Um, it happens a lot. And it was only when I finally just made the leap, you know, to, I think, start investing my time and how I saw fit that I, you know, I don't have those anxieties anymore, but I would say it was like a, that was a journey to, to get there. And like, I know not everybody's in that spot. So, um, but it's something I would say, you know, if you could, at least figure out where what nirvana would look like for you then maybe you know or nerdvana or whatever like 
you know, I think there's a lot of benefit to that because, you know, it, it sucks because like I, I know a lot of people who work in jobs, you know, for decades and they get to the end of their 50s or whatever. And they're like, what the fuck did I just spend all my time doing? Like, this sucks. It happens a lot, actually. Right. And like, you know, then they get a Corvette or something and freak out and dye their hair. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I see this. I see this a ton. Um, I've been through it a lot. I, and, you know, there's no there's no shortcut, really. I would say just like if you want to do something different, then just figure out what that is and start making a path to get there. But like life's too short, as you say, at the end of your podcast, you know, all the time, you know, do something that's going to make sense, you know, but it's understand too, it's a progression and you're going to have freak outs. Like when you do make a leap into something totally new, like that's not all roses either. Like it's hard work either way, but I guess, you know, determine like, what do you want to invest your time in? Do you want to like make money for the man and do meaningless shit your entire career? Like, and that's an option. A lot of people do that. You know, yeah. um, you could make money for yourself or you can find a job that might be really happy, you know, fulfilling. Like one, one of the smartest people I know, he's way smarter than I am. He, he's been, he's worked at like hardware stores his entire life. Like, and he's happy. He's so happy. He just works as a, as a clerk. And this guy, his IQ is like very high, but he just figured like, look, I don't know what, I, mean. I want to go to, you know, get a corporate job. I'm just going to sell hammers all day and shit. And that's, what makes him happy. And I think at the end of the day, like, that's cool. Like you don't have to take the prescribed path. I know other people who, you know, growing up who were like professional rock climbers, that's like all they did. And like, that's how they made their living was like getting, um, you know, in national geographic and stuff and then getting sponsors and like, that's cool. So there's, there's a lot of things you could do. And I would say like, just cause we're all data scientists, you know, if, if you're not happy doing that or you're not doing data science the way you want to, then there's a lot of other options, you know, you could find different jobs, start your own thing or just do something totally different and go work at a cash register. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it sounds like that guy just, um, he just said, I'm not playing that game. I'm playing my own game, single player game yeah. and went for it. So yeah, that's, that's the, Awesome, man. Love, love to love to talk to that guy. Sounds pretty interesting. Uh, let's hear from Vivian and then let's go to Eric after Vivian on this topic. And then in the meantime, if anybody else has questions, go ahead and send me a, a message right there in the chat. I see a bunch of a few new faces. Uh, Shit, boom, bam. I can't say your name. Sorry. And uh, Brett or Grissimran, if you guys have questions about Oddly enough, I can say Grissomer's name. Um, so uh, go for it, Vivian. Um, well, as Joe was talking, I was just thinking about how I've known some people like that too. And I always really admire people who can like not take life so seriously, I guess, because I have a tendency to get so serious about everything all the time. And uh, I don't know. I think that it it is like a wise person who can not be quite so serious about everything they do. And I was reading... Um, a story about like um, approaching creativity and life and inspiration with um, a jester's mindset versus like a warrior's mindset that a lot of times like we value the person who's like the warrior and they like push through all the time and stuff like that and they're always like um is that a good book but <laughs> uh, Literally, this book is called A Kick in the Seat in the Pants, and uh, it's written by Roger Venek, and he has four roles of the creative process, and four roles. Uh, one of them is the jester, and one of them is the warrior. So it, I Oh, okay. Know, well, it was probably... That wasn't that... It wasn't that book. It was a book called... I can't remember now. It was... It's by the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and then she wrote a book about, like, creativity. Okay. 
Um, anyway, but uh, she was just talking in that book about how like the jester like still still knows how to like follow leads and like, you know, commitment and stuff like that. But it, it does it with like more playfulness and not like taking life too seriously and kind of like taking shots as they come kind of thing, rolling with the punches and like just being like, you know, approaching things with a sense of like humor and stuff like that. And so um, I don't know, that just was something that I was thinking about as Joe was talking that I I would like to try to be that person more because our society definitely values the warrior more often of like the person who's always like persevering and like grunt, you know, pushing through and everything, but it doesn't always have to be like that. Like you can, you can push through and still have a sense of like playfulness in your own life. But, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Love that. What was the name of that book again? Uh, I'm gonna okay. I'll just. Well, it, it was by the lady who you said wrote "Eat, Pray, Eat, Love, Pray, right? Love." Yeah, I and guess two two Google searches for that one. Big uh, Magic is big what it's magic. called. Awesome. Yeah. By Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, and I was listening to a podcast with Naval Ravikant and uh, Kapil Gupta. There's two of them uh, that are floating around. One of them is about uh, like the illusion of hard work. And I highly encourage you guys to check that out. I think you guys might find it interesting. Uh, Eric, let's hear from you on this. And again, if anybody has questions, go ahead. Let me know right there in the chat. And I'll put you into the queue. Eric, go for it. Do you ever feel like you're like, you know, what oh, sure. On? I mean, so in one of my previous roles, um, I was one of the very early people hired to do a job that was brand new. And it was kind of defined, but it was intentionally pretty wide open and vague. And they ended up hiring, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 of us. And everybody really took it in different directions. And, you know, kind of to the to the jester side, I ended up taking it in a way different direction than anyone else. And I had a ton of fun with it. Um, but I also at times felt like, I you know, like this is totally like, I feel like I was a, a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And so maybe it just was that, you know, it wasn't the perfect fit. But it was also kind of, you know, Brandon, as you were talking about the the original question, it made me think of like role scope creep and how it's so easy to let other people, it's, it's so easy to let other people who need important stuff, you know, like dominate or, or kind of like change the trajectory of what maybe we thought our, our roles were going to look like at, at one point or another. And at you know, at, at, at some, in, to some degree, we have control over that and some degree we, we don't. Right. And so that's something that I keep in mind. And I, I think about what Mark Freeman talks about, like I threw in the comments about being the CEO of your company of one and really like making sure that you are developing the way that you want to develop because yeah, you, you have one life of you on this planet. And if you drop dead tomorrow, your job would be filled in a month and the company would roll on and that's all there is to it. And I've, I've really thought about that in in the past few weeks, like, dang, like, am I spending enough time like with my partner and enjoying the life that I have with her? Because if I was dead, she'd be real sad. And my employer would be real sad until they filled my role. And then every, no one would even remember me in 90 days, you know? And so like, who would remember me 90 days after I was gone, you know? And so thinking about, you know, being that company of one for myself, like, keeps me in the right mindset, I hope, uh, with, with my work, but then also just kind of with my self. Absolutely love that. Yeah. That's a great analogy that Mark, uh, always makes that really resonates with me as well. Uh, Mikiko, go for it. I feel like part of it too, is that, um, at least like in data science and machine learning, I feel like there's like three primary reasons why, at least like sort of like why I kind of, or why I 
myself or seen people experience like the what the fuck moments are we doing with our career? Because you first get in, right? And there, there's all this like promise and it's like exciting and it's like you can make all this impact and shiny toys. I imagine it's much the same as like before the dot-com bubble. You know, and if you were like an engineer working in that, I mean, that's what like some of my friends who or some of my family friends who were engineers at that time, like they talked about that excitement and the shininess and be like, we're going to go build someone pets, pets.com and all that. And I feel like, you know, so one reason why I've, I've like felt what the fuck in like data science and machine learning was at times was because uh, a big reason was I didn't have the skills at that point to actually do anything useful with the work. Um, so, and, and what that actually means, right. Is that like, yeah, you develop a model and you, you bring all these insights into the business and yada, yada, yada. But then, you know, if you don't have the engineering skills, there's no way you can actually get that model like into the product itself. Then you have to think about like keeping it updated and then, oh, like does business actually care about your insights, you know, all this other stuff. Right. So there's like that one reason of like WTF, right. Is that like, is that it's kind of like the model building is like what's sold as, as the you know, this is the thing that you, like, you do to add value in data science machine, machine learning, but it's, like, literally everything around it, right? It's, it's actually everything around it. Like, the model developing itself, you know, it's all nice, and, you know, you can use some model ML to, like, do model selection or, you know, some feature engineering, but, um, you know, and then, but then the second part where I feel like I've seen people go, like, WTF is, like, um, the, you know, not having that, like, internal support and that alignment of, like, what your work is to, to the company. And that's like more for people in like leadership roles, you know? Um, but I'd say like that third part is like that alignment of, of purpose, you know, and like kind of where you are. Right. Um, and that was like a big discussion I had with even my own family. Right. So I was, so I was like looking at different opportunities for an MLE role and I got um, three offers and I had another, a fourth one on the way. Um, and I knew which one I was going with. Cause I'm like, this is what I need in my career right now. Um, but my parents wanted me to go for like a completely, completely different one. Right. And for them, they're like, oh, well, you have more opportunities to climb up the corporate ladder and like all this other stuff da, da, da. and it's got global reach and it's got a brand name. And then I was like, well, but I want to go for the one which has, first off, the people who are actually excited to have me on the team. That's a really good one. Um, secondly, uh, you know, collaboration and mentorship, cause that's where I am in my career right now. Um, and thirdly, like really clear, like deliverables as to like what the role is, like some of the offers, the other offers I got, they're a little bit more sort of like, mm, kind of like the wild west, you know, one of the companies which just sort of, is just sort of developing that in-house town right now. Um, you know, and they're like, yeah, you might work like, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, you know, or some nonsense like that. Whereas the company I chose, it's like, yeah, they're like, we don't really like to work after 5 PM Eastern standard time, you know, and we also don't like to work on weekends. Right. And like, so, so for my parents, they were kind of like, you know, they, there was something they wanted for me. There was something that I kind of had to optimize for a few years, you know, ago, I probably would pick, I would have chosen the one that's like go up the career ladder, but you know, the one I chose for me, it feels right. Um, you know, but in like previous roles, right. Like I had that WTF because I either didn't have the skills to like actually be like to do valuable work. Um, or I didn't have like the buy-in or support or like my purpose was internally aligned because there were people on my team who were like totally happy. They're really successful as data scientists. And like, if you kind of look at sort of the quality of work that they publish and also kind of why they're doing the work, you know, like this one guy who's just like this amazing, like data scientist. And he eventually became a data science manager, right? For him, it was all about like working uh, with improving chronic conditions for people. Like his, he's very big in the health tech and that's kind of like his purpose purpose um for me that wasn't the case necessarily 
for me, I get my, all my value enjoyment out of the work that I'm doing right now and like what it sort of gives me, um, you know, but, so I think that's, I think, I think in data science and machine learning, it's really hard to like lose sight of the, like, you know, what's valuable to you and what is, what is something that you need, like in your career right now. Um, and also to be put in this position where you're sort of providing like features to companies as opposed to like actual transformational like impact because a lot of like companies especially with like the bigger tech ones it feels like I don't know, especially like with all the things you're just kind of like optimizing off of something that's already well established as opposed to creating something new that's actually valuable for people yeah like the word that came to mind when you're saying that is like a commodity data scientist don't be a, just a commodity data scientist if you're going to do work do something cool something new even if it's some even if it's okay so like Let's just take this example that I've been living with in my world, this uh, building a data strategy for this organization. Well, the entire world might be out here and having good data architecture and good data strategy in place and doing crazy stuff. But for this particular company um, that's been around for you know the last 40 years uh, and has been doing really well, they've never done anything like this. So I'm coming in and I'm doing something new, something big, something that's really going to help them progress and I'll learn a shit ton throughout the, throughout, you know, the, the, the way, yeah, maybe I'm not doing data science and fancy, sexy shit that I want to do, but at least I feel like I'm helping somebody, right? Like, I feel like I'm, you know, the, the, the CEO of the company is like the most amazing guy ever. Like, I feel really happy to be able to, to do something new and innovative for him. Um, so you kind of creating the, the meaning and the purpose for yourself. Brandon, I don't know if we like completely straight off path from your question. Uh, it's kind of the reason why I like asking a bunch of people their responses just to see how the uh, question starts evolving uh, from person to person. But let me know what you're thinking. No, I'm, I'm good. You know, I think it's, it's an open-ended question anyway. So it's good to hear uh, people's different perspectives on it. Russell brings up an interesting point though, right? I mean, in the, in the thread here, just about burnout in general from the pandemic, like data people ain't the only people I know who are burned out hard. Like I think everybody um, that I know is, uh, um, they just want to do something else, man. I mean, just even take a break, uh, like the work from home thing, I think it's just like, it's accelerated, whatever, like short fuse you already had, like that's dwindled to like nothing. So like in any industry, like my sister, right? Like she's, she's a lawyer and whatever. And she just table flipped and decided to go, you know, do something different for a bit. And like, but it's just, Everybody I know, of, like, there's a, the number of people I know who aren't burned out is like, it's very, very few, you know, and it's just everyone's unsatisfied with what they're doing. So it's not just data, but I think, it, you know, in general, the pattern that I've seen that was like, everyone's trying to fit this archetype of what they think they're supposed to be doing in a career, right? And at the end of the day, it's kind of like, there's... There's probably a lot of variations in that. And not to say, you know, you know data is a cool thing. I mean, I, it's, this is the only business I've really ever been in is in data, you know, for 20 years now. And it's like, this is all I know, you know, is so, but are there different ways of, of moving your career in data? Certainly there's, there's infinite ways, you know, I mean, like you're doing hard pretty, like, that's awesome. Like that's, that may not seem like what's archetypically data science, but it's still like cool as hell. And you should totally be doing it. Like, that's awesome. Because it's, it's interesting, like when you look back on your career and the trajectory you take and how circuitously random everything seems like it all, in a sense, ties together to where you are today and where you're going to be in the future. Right. So it's it's very stochastic in that way. But um, yeah, and just the present can seem infinitely long when you're in it. But in retrospect, what is five, six months out of a, um, I don't know, 20 times 12, however many months that is, uh, 
career that's just a small fraction, less than three to four percent right, of, of your entire. Just a common heart rate. Yeah. This is where you need an accountant. <laughs> 20 months times 12. That's 120 times so. <laughs> 240. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what calculators are for. I'm a statistician, not an arithmetician. Uh, yeah, uh, Joe. No, I mean, it, it's just, but you know, I would say don't beat yourself up, right? If you don't feel like you're doing data science stuff, like it, it might, it might also be a situation where it's like, you just need to take a break or get a different manager. Cause I mean, most, if you look at most people in their careers, it's, it's, I mean, it's a classic saying, people don't leave their job, they leave their managers. And in a lot of cases, it's just, Maybe it's a team you're on or who you're working with or your manager or whatever, like that might also be something to assess. Like, you know, if I, if I had a different opportunity, even in the same company, would I be doing something different and be happier? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that has happened a lot. So, um, you know, I know people work at, you know, some of the things and, you know, depending on the team you're on, your life is either great or it's like really fucking miserable. And like, that's all it takes. So, but yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, dude, like your life, your career, it really is a single single player game. You might have short bursts of teamwork when you're working on projects, but every move you make, you're not making moves for the sake of your team. You're making moves for the sake of yourself. Um, so as long as you just optimize for whatever it is that you feel brings you the greatest amount of enjoyment um, for the amount of time you're trading in for a paycheck, then just do it. And just don't wonder if it's what, you know, somebody in the same job title halfway across the world is doing, I guess. Um, it's kind of just my philosophy about that. Um, let me know if anybody else has any questions. If not, then we can begin to wind down office hours um, or happy hour. Only 14 people today. I liked it. It was uh, chill and intimate. Uh, that's really, really awesome. You guys, uh, hopefully you guys stay tuned for the next um, couple of weeks. Uh, Vivian is going to be helping me out greatly on May 21st. She's going to be hosting office hours on my behalf. So thank you so much for doing that for me, Vivian. Um, be sure to check out the episode I released earlier today with uh, my friend Prachi. She is a diversity researcher in India. Um, if, if you're like me, an Indian who just thought India was full of Indians, there's actually a lot of diversity in India, apparently, that I did not know about. Um, and I learned about it. So you guys will too. So enjoy that. So it doesn't look like there's any more questions. It looks like I stalled enough. Take care, guys. Have a good rest of the weekend. Happy first birthday to my son, Jagad. I can't believe it. A year. Damn. Hopefully you start to sleep through the night now so I could as well. Um, guys, take care. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.